0: Hey everybody thank you for joining us for today's episode of certainty talks on the show we talk about the system that we use to get clarity on our goals certainty on how we're going to reach them and wealthy on our terms by rigging the game in our favor and we share it here because we want to help you reach your goals on your terms you've been told to scale to buy all these different products from every each way often from good meaning people so it's not your fault when you look around and wonder why is my business not where i want it to be and as our mentor and business partner, Dan Nicholson, says, the biggest risk is that we don't get what we want out of life. Got my good friend, business partner here in the wheel club, Mr. Paul Sparks himself, not only a, success, a successful real estate investor, but also certified certainty advisor. And guys, if you get value out of the show, please hit the subscribe button right now. That way, we can actually help more people get wealthy on their terms. Title for today's show is, use this strategy to do bigger deals instead of more deals now before we get into that six word updates what you got paul well
1: my six word update today is uh, recaptured enough to fund my book and uh, i talked about that this week i'm really really excited because dan nicholson uh Again, you guys should know him by now. If we, if you have listened to this show, we talk about it all the time. He wrote the book, Rigging the Game, which is sort of the the source and the inspiration for most of the content that we talk about here on Certainty Talks. Well, Dan's a partner with Steve and I in the Whale Club, and he approached me uh, letting me know that he's going to be writing another book about the solvable problem, which is a key framework in you know, certainty and uh, sort of how we guide Our life and get clarity on the things that we want. He asked if I would be uh, interested in writing the chapter on solvable problem for real estate, and of course, yes, I would be very interested in that. Um, It is going to cost me some money, and so, you know, true to the certainty operating system, I decided to figure out how to instead of figuring out how to get ten thousand dollars more, which is about what it's going to cost me to write this you know chapter in this book, uh, I went through and just recaptured a bunch of things that really weren't contributing towards the business that I now run. A lot of people know that I I went from wholesaling into developments, uh, but I still had, for whatever reason, a bunch of things I was paying for for the wholesaling business. And so this was a great opportunity to just go recapture just about $10,000 a year that I was still just leaking out, you know, leaking uh, leaks in my bucket, recaptured that, and I'm going to apply it to, Uh, writing this book. So just another case in point for the process that we go through. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to be writing this book with Dan. So
0: yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Um, My six word update. Uh, Prioritized prioritized attention means a cherished wife. And so, you know, one of the exercises we've been going through, again, recapture and reallocate, is going through the six different currencies uh, that we have and figuring out how to reallocate resources. And for me, you know, uh, I spent all my time, all my focus, energy, attention on my business because you can never run out of things to do on your business. And so with that being the case, there wasn't enough focus and attention on my bride. And so now what I've done is I have reprioritized, right? Just take a little bit of time think about what I can do to, for my wife to feel cherished, and then, all, and then the remaining time focus on the business. Because if it's the other order, again, there's no limit to how much time we could spend on our business. And so seeing that, right, I can just see it's made a difference, profound impact uh, in a very short period of time. So at least for now, right, let's see how, if that's, how sustainable that is in the long term. Um, but again, what we're talking about right now in the, in the Whale Club, right, Recapturing resources,
1: reallocating resources, being intentional with that. So, going well, you back- shared you shared a lot about that this week, and I, I just want to to say sometimes it's just as simple as invert, right? Yeah. Uh, we 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 spend all of our energy all day long on business because you're right. There's not there's an infinite <laughs> seemingly amount of energy that we'll just be willing to spend on our business, and then the the most important thing in our life which for you is your wife and for me is also my wife, mm. they end up getting left with just whatever's left over right. at the end of the day. And I think just the concept of just invert that, just give them the best of you, figure mm. out how to maybe uh, bring more energy attention at the beginning of the day, or maybe, you know, sometimes just leave more in the tank, but you know, just invert that process. And now you're prioritizing the most important thing but right. you're also then able to just expend as much as you want in your business but don't don't just just flip the order right, right. put them first and then the business second yeah just reprioritize and it's easy right easy it's,
0: <laughs> it's simple it's simple yeah. but just because what was it jim Rowan, right what's easy to do is also easy not to do and that's where we get caught up because we know these things
1: but are we practicing them yeah and it's not about knowing it's about Behavior. Yeah. You know, you say this all the time. You don't know a thing until your behavior actually changes. Right. You know, and you can read all the books that you want. And a lot of us like to feel comfortable because we read all these things and we say, Yeah, no, I really understand that. I really understand this. But if you don't actually do it, did you really understand it? Yeah. Um, learning and in my intelligence in my opinion, is the ability to get what you want. Right. The ability to have your behaviors aligned with your actions and your intentions.
0: Yep. And learning without implementing is just another form of entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so what is the problem? Right, We're talking about use the strategy to do bigger deals instead of more deals. What's the problem today?
1: Well, I think the problem comes down to a lot of business owners just don't have exposure to bigger deals. They want to get into bigger deals. There's all these, you know, let's let's list out some areas that I think a lot of, let's say people that have been in business for five, seven years or less, they look at things like people doing really large wholesale assignment fees, you know, 50, 75, 100K assignment fees. They look at people doing multifamily or these big land entitlement deals. My God, there's seven figures on some of these deals. It's It's huge. huge. Yeah. Eight figures on a lot of these deals you have, you know, I, I got pulled into uh, developments. You know, these are multiple seven figure deals, Mm -hmm. RV parks, self storage, mobile homes, people that buy portfolios. I mean, there's so many ways to get into bigger deals. And I think, the problem is, is that a lot of us, we just don't have the option. Even if we wanted to do these bigger deals, we can't. We'll talk about why that is. And we'll talk about ways that you can go about getting exposure to these type of deals so that um, so that you, you at least give yourself the option to get into them.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at What's the evolution? So first, like, how do I find a deal, this and that, right? And then eventually you start, it's on autopilot, more or less, right? It's like, it's a four-hour work week. You're spending four hours on your business, right? And, you're, and your business is still running. So the goal is to get to that level, and then I'm going to start doing multifamily, right? Like, that's what we tell ourselves. That's the story we tell ourselves. And so along the way, you get these big deals that are available. And what do you do with them? nothing because you're so in the weeds with your regular you know with what you're doing today with your business and so you can't was it like you can't even like stick your head out of the grass to like survey the environment or to see what other opportunities are available because you're so in the weeds
1: Mm -hmm. well and this goes back to what we discussed last week around the barbell we talked about the barbell framework as a way for new invest well for someone that wants to go full-time in real estate. Mm -hmm. If you didn't listen to that episode, let us kind of recap what the barbell means. Uh, So picture a barbell and it'd be really odd to see a barbell that had weight loaded in the middle of the bar. And the reason is because the risk of lifting that bar is like, you might hurt yourself. It might tip over. Like it's really difficult to pick that weight up. Yeah. And And so we use the barbell as a framework to describe how we think about approaching business. And and on one side of the bar, when you're loading weight on one side, you want it to be very reliable. What does reliable mean? It means we get the outcome we expect, right? It's we don't have these this business where you make $20,000 one month and then you lose $40,000 a month and then you make 60 the next month. And then the next month's break even. And then, Oh, you got a really bad one. You lost 50 K. You know, this is the type of business a lot of us run. And of course you look at that, you know, one month that you did five six seven ten 10 deals. And you say, well, I do 10 deals a month. Yeah. <laughs> but of course you're not accounting for all of the zeros and the negatives that are on the board there. Right. And and we have an unreliable business. And it's it's actually in the middle of the bar, unfortunately, for a lot of us, because mm-hmm. we don't have predictability. We don't always get the outcome that we expect. And because of that, the risk is we can't see anything. Our heads are down, we're so laser focused, we've got to make this work, you know, we're you're clenched and you're gripping down to try to force these things to happen. Um, and because of that, again, you just, even if an opportunity presented itself, you can't see it because you're so in, um, you know caught up in trying to get your business reliable, which is actually what you probably should be doing, right? The first step is how do we make this a reliable and consistent business?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so the first thing is you might not even see it. It's not even in your radar, right? We talk about the particular activating system. Um, if you're in the market for, let's say, uh, a red Lexus, everything you see on the road appears to be a red Lexus and you don't see most other cars. So if your focus is how do, how do I find my next wholesale deal, you might have a golden opportunity uh, on, a, uh, on a multifamily deal that you might not see it or it may not be pushed in front of you because everyone knows you're actively wholesaling.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we talked we talked about the, the the story of naming the puppy. Yeah. Um, and so this story of naming the puppy, what this is is it's a story to describe how a lot of us run our our life and our business. And mm-hmm. so you know you walk into a pet store and you see all these puppies there. And you walk over and the person that's got all these you know kind of watching these puppies says hey you should pick up this puppy and play with it and give it a name yeah. and they say take it home and see how you like it if you don't like it you can bring it back i mean the second that you name that puppy and you take it home the likelihood that you got attached to that puppy goes way up and they right. know that mm-hmm. right and so this is what the internet marketers are trying to do they're trying to get you attached to one outcome, Mm -hmm. wholesaling, flipping. Or if you're like me and a lot of other investors, you say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a wholesaling business. That's going to feed a flipping business, which we're then going to use to feed our rentals. And then we'll have a property management company that will manage that. Mm -hmm. And you're building out this whole thing and you're defining exactly how it needs to happen. And because this is your baby, you're now really attached to this particular way of going about it. And completely un, uh, un, unre- uh, not receptive to maybe a different way to get there.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, is that the identity, right? So I'm a wholesaler. Well, if I'm a wholesaler, then A, you might not be looking at big deals, but B, because everyone knows you're the wholesaler, you don't get presented with big deals, yeah. right? Yeah,
1: exactly. And so identity plays a big part in that. And we're going to come back to what I think is the, the ultimate biggest contributor to getting into bigger deals. Mm -hmm. But, but first I want to establish this idea that most of us got into real estate because we were trying to solve some problem in our life, whether that's like a financial problem or it's more about fulfillment you weren't happy in your job. You don't want to work till you're 65 for somebody else. I get it. So, so that's how I am. That's how Steve is. Mm-hmm. And that's why we were so attracted to real estate. But real estate is just a tool to help us get the things that we want most out of life. And I think we get sometimes confused and obsessed over the tool as opposed to saying, we, we call this clarity in the solvable problem. What are you actually trying to get closer to? What are you trying to solve for in your life? Uh, and once we have clarity on that, what we talk about on this show is certainty. These different tools and these frameworks that, that we use to help us navigate the terrain because we don't have we don't really have the Google maps. Like it's not laid out exactly because we can't predict the future. We don't know what the future holds for us. So instead what we need is, is a diagnostic tool belt. That's sort of how I think of it. The ability to reason through and make decisions as you're getting closer and closer to what matters most to you. But here's the key. The last piece here that most people get wrong is We want certainty that we are going to get there, that we have the right tools to get us there, but we need to be completely uncertain on the best path forward. That is what gets a lot of us. We get so certain on here's how it needs to happen. We're going to do step one, then step two, then step three, then step four, and whatever. But you start getting down the road and you might realize, oh, I don't know that I like this. Maybe... Mm -hmm maybe just maybe we should keep the loop open and be less certain. I would even go as far as to say uncertain on exactly what the next steps need to be, but just clarity on where we're going. Well, and you
0: just look at, you know, um, I guess maybe this is, this is a case in point, but like on our business plan, we don't do more than three years, right? Traction says 10 year plan, right? Some coaches say you have to have a five-year plan. I don't see much reason to go past two years, but I think we do a three-year plan. I think that's as far out as we go when we do our meetings, right? We'll have a three-year plan. Why? Things change so freaking fast, right? Like, I mean, you look with, with what AI is doing. You couldn't plan for AI last year, right? COVID, you can't predict COVID. You can't predict how everyone reacts very polarizing, in a very polarizing manner and you can't predict that the government's gonna print all this money. So like all these things that happen to the gall to say I am going to build a business and it's gonna look exactly like this in three years and I'm gonna do A and B and C and D and E is preposterous. Yeah, But a lot of people, most entrepreneurs don't necessarily fall in this way, but a lot of people have to have that certainty Here's exactly how it's going to work. Yeah. You and I, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble because we're quick starts. The great benefit, though, of being a quick start <laughs> is that we don't need to know what the final destination looks like. We just know, like, oh, it's in that general direction. Let's sprint full speed. What we're talking about now is don't sprint full speed, but we're still going in the general direction.
1: Mm-hmm don't sprint full speed yeah that's <laughs> i probably need to tattoo that on my on my arm or something um <laughs> and we'll talk about that a little bit today yeah, let's, start, let's, start, let's start let's start let's
0: start first gear maybe get to second gear make sure we like this road and then we'll go into third gear
1: yeah you know make sure you're going in the right it's, it's better to be going in the right direction than going fast right is another maybe way to say that and uh and you mentioned something as well that i'll just kind of elaborate on um the unexpected is undefeated Mm -hmm. Something I was journaling on this week. The unexpected is undefeated. You know, how could you have expected COVID? How could we have expected the financial crash of 2008? You know, all the the crazy things that just come up. You know, I'm sure everyone that's listening to this has had something unexpected happen in their business Mm -hmm. that they couldn't have predicted. Yeah. And it's undefeated. Uh, Another way that we say this is that time and randomness are undefeated. Yeah. Time is always just going to keep going and random things are always going to happen. So when we name the puppy and we look out and again, I realize this is counter to how a lot of the books and the gurus are, are telling you, like define exactly your plan going forward. My, my coach, Dr. Jeff says, you just really need to be defining the next one to two things that need to go right. That's it because we have the right tools and frameworks to navigate the terrain as we go on, and the problem with setting these highly detailed plans for one, most of us, our brains, ah, it feels so nice when we when we see all you got to do is follow this 10 step plan. I got news for you. you want to be extraordinary? best way to not be extraordinary is go follow someone's ordinary plan, a 10 step plan. here's exactly how to do wholesaling or flipping or yada, 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 yada yada yeah. Best way to be very, very ordinary, right? <laughs> uh, I'm coming for him today, Steve. I'm coming for him. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big fan of, of like following a, a prescription for how you should or shouldn't build a business. Right. A ra- I'm not this a is the
0: right fan. way to build a business.
1: This is the right way to do it. Yeah. You know, and, and the best, these plans, what they're doing is they're not accounting for the unexpected. They're not accounting for random things that happen. And when you have a specific plan, and random things happen, usually it's to the detriment of your plan. Right. Usually it throws your plan off because you weren't expecting these things. What we're advocating for is how do you put yourself in a position where when unexpected and random things happen, you benefit from them? That is what we mean by we, when we say certainty. We have certainty that we're going to get there, but we're completely uncertain about how it's going to look. Right. So with that being said, if you want to get into bigger deals, you've got to be, you got to start opening up to this concept because um, there's so many ways to, to make money in real estate, to be successful at real estate. And I believe that the, the number one contributor to doing bigger deals is relationships Mm -hmm. and i'll i think we'll spend the rest of the time sort of making our case for why that's so yeah um but you tell me like what's been your experience in business uh, with relationships and how has that contributed to the success of your business
0: well i mean i think relationships has been the single biggest thing i mean the fact of the matter is is that even though i don't have access to a lot of capital if I ever needed capital, I'm just going to hit the phones and I'm going to find that capital. Um, the We have, you know, I'm back in the wholesale business. We kind of talked about that a bit, right? Uh, you know, we're going through a bit of a shift. And so I've just said, all right, on Tuesdays, Tuesday's wholesale day. On Tuesday, I don't do anything except work inside the wholesale business, right? Which, by the way, if anyone's looking to be demoralized, spend a lot of time in your CRM, you will get demoralized. All right. <laughs> so. Um, going to the, and back in the business, you know, we got these deals. And so now I got these deals. I pick up the phone. I call a top buyer. I call another top buyer. I call another top buyer. And you know what happens? They all answer the phone, right? Versus when I was having my dispo uh, manager call these people, like they won't return my call. They're not answering. I was like, well, just keep calling them. I just keep calling until you get get a hold of them. But it is crazy. They either answer the phone or they call me back within five minutes. That's relationships, right? If I'm calling, they know there's a very specific reason for a call, right? So I think it's just the power of relationships is you get to have, um, you get more opportunity, you get more responses, uh, you get, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you You get what you want faster because of the quality of your relationships and on top of that um your reputation
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and when you were let's talk about like doing bigger wholesale deals mm-hmm. um, i i would I would assume that there's a correlation between the larger your Buyers list, I guess, in this case, the more relationships that you have and the mm. higher quality of relationships that you have with those buyers, the bigger your spreads.
0: Absolutely. I think the deeper the relationship. But the other thing, too, is if it's a bigger deal, I'm going to call the people that I know will perform and don't care how much I make. You know, right. the more transactional buyers or the people that tend to be more transactional tend to really worry about how much you made on that deal. Mm -hmm. Right? It's interesting how that works. But the ones I got good relationships with, like, I don't care how much you made that deal. Like, I'm glad you made a lot of money because I made a lot of money and it's good. We all, we all won together.
1: They all, they want you to win. You know, you just said that. And, uh, I, I just, I find someone, please, somebody challenge me on this, Mm -hmm. that this business is all about relationships. Period. End of discussion. Um, And the second I I finally came to understand that is when I started aligning my business with that it being the number one currency. Because if you're focused on how do I make more money, usually that's a byproduct of one of the other currencies. Mm -hmm. So again, we'll reference the A-timer that we've talked about so this is a framework to think through the six six of you could add more if you'd like but six currencies that we consider to be the most important so attention time impact or influence money energy and relationships or your reputation mm-hmm. and typically money is a byproduct of one of these relationships or one of these other currencies and so Let's say you have a lot of attention like Steve has with his podcasts. A lot of people are paying him attention. That converts to money in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. He's got different ways he can monetize that. Some people spend, they have more time. It allows them to go out and make more money. Some people have, they make a massive impact on their community, on their, uh, their team, and that translates directly into money. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm going to make the argument that the biggest Currency in real estate—it's especially true for me. There's probably this is not a a blanket statement, but for me, the the most valuable currency that I have is relationships. Mm-hmm. And when you focus on the quality of the relationships and improving that, you end up making more money.
0: Yeah, I mean and that's what I've seen. Just a couple of examples, right? I mean, everyone should be by now familiar with Pace and Jamil, right? So Pace has generated massive influence. And what does that do? That generates massive relationships, which generates massive opportunities, right? Which yeah. leads to money. Uh, Jamil, he's been on the show five times. He was, you know, uh, my mentor when I was, you know, so, uh, starting wholesaling. The guy is the key, re- uh, is the king of relationships. What does he do? Hey, all you wholesalers that are that are hitting the phones, generating all of this, all these leads. When you get that deal, send it to me. And I'll send it to the best buyers list, right? So he's generating only relationships with wholesalers and only relationships with the top buyers. He is not running a transactional business. He is running purely
1: a relationship business. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why those guys have done so well. And there's a reason why a lot of these people have communities. There's a reason why we have a community. Because I believe that relationships are the number one Contributor to money in real estate yep. that's, 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 you know, that's true for me. Well, so it's true for what's the top. top It's true for the, the guys at the top. Everyone at the yeah. top has the best relationships. And here's why because bigger deals you it takes a team. you know there are examples of people who take down massive multifamily properties or do large developments or whatever on their own. There's certainly uh, outliers and anomalies, but I would, you know, most of the people that we know through Collective Genius or Whale Club or anyone that you've interviewed, I bet they would tell you they didn't get there alone. No. Nobody wins in this game alone, at least very few people do. And so if we agree that it's a team sport as you start getting into these bigger deals, then let's, inter- I want to introduce a framework that I use to think about. Uh, what I call the deal triangle. Okay, so whether this is multifamily or developments or self-storage, it doesn't matter. The deal triangle is always there. Sometimes the triangle's bigger, sometimes it's smaller. Sometimes one side's a lot longer than the other. You know, sometimes the, the triangle always looks different, but there's always three sides to every good deal. And here's the three sides. The first is sourcing. How do you actually find the deal and find a good deal? You know, it's, there's less deals to go around Mm -hmm. when you start getting into bigger deals. And one of the things that I noticed going from being a wholesaler to being a developer, there's a key difference there. Wholesalers are looking at how do I make every deal work? How do I monetize every deal? Because we have so many strategies. We have novation, creative finance, buy it in cash, I don't need to list them all out, but there's just a ton of ways to make, you know, monetize these deals, and that's what they're trying to do. I did that for a long time mm-hmm. with developers. What we're trying to do is, how do I disqualify this deal as quickly as possible? Come up with the reason why this won't work. Oh, the frontage is too short. I'm not even going to look at it again. Oh, the seller is, uh, you know, they want two million dollars, and we know that this is only worth, you know, a million dollars. It's like, okay, move on. There was, there's no deal there. So they're trying to disqualify as quickly as possible, but you have sourcing, you have funding and you have operations, who's building it, who's managing it. Um, you know, the, 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 the operations side of it. And those three sides of that deal are all are, are all necessary. in any large deal that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And sourcing, Relationships, funding, relationships, operations, who, which is a subset of relationships.
1: And it is. And so let's break those sides down. And for, for those that are listening to this, you don't need to have all three sides. You got to figure out where do you contribute on this deal triangle. Oftentimes there's multiple people on every one of these, right? There could be multiple sourcing partners. You got maybe a broker, you've got an underwriter, Um, especially when you get into commercial real estate, you have to have relationships with brokers. These are the ones that are bringing you the deals. It's it's a lot less likely that you're just going to send a direct mail piece to somebody that owns a, you know, massive multifamily property and just say, hey, we'll buy this thing in cash. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really, I mean, it can work. It's just not nearly as common. Yeah. And so relationships become critical when you're sourcing. Um, so if you are a wholesaler and you're marketing, you're doing a whole bunch of marketing, part of, part of I think, what I started realizing is you just got to pick your head up a little bit and, and start looking for the types of deals that you can just add on a little bit. Like you're already sending out mail. You're already cold calling. And you're targeting only single family homes built between a certain time, certain square footage, certain bedroom, bathroom count, whatever. It's like, well, why don't you consider marketing to land or marketing to some other category? Because again, as a sourcing partner, you actually contribute massively to that deal. Finding good deals is really difficult to do. Um, So, Again, uh, any any comments on other ways to add, you know, the importance of relationships on the sourcing side?
0: No, I mean, I I think that's really it, right? It's just you're one of those three and you just have to be able to find the other two. Actively build those relationships relationships
1: for the other two. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm sure that a broker would tell you it's really hard to be a commercial broker and raise a ton of money and build houses or property manage something, you know, again, you're, you're probably not doing all three of these things. And so, yeah, it's likely that you're going to lend you're going to tend, uh, towards one of these three sides. So we talked about sourcing Mm -hmm. and the importance of knowing all the wholesalers, knowing all the realtors, knowing, um, Sellers, I guess, as well, building relationships with all these people. And these are a lot of this is planting seeds.
0: Yeah. Well, I say that. And the most, and probably for sourcing, the most important one is the commercial brokers.
1: For bigger deals. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to look at this like a long game. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not a come in and get a deal in a month, you know, whatever, like these programs that talk about wholesaling and you can come in and we can get you a deal and, you know, in a month. Well, Again, that's just not common right. in in commercial. and uh, so when when you're when you're going about this, look at this over a long time frame. That's how you've got to look at relationships. it's It's not a transactional thing. And so the best way that I can advise doing this is just do it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, consistently be going to the meetups, consistently be trying to you know network with other people in your market. And open up yourself to possibilities. It could mean if you're already doing a wholesaling business, just like add a couple things to open up the optionality for that. Yeah. And
0: it's right, very simple to do. It. Right now we're talking about commercial, right? But it doesn't have to be commercial. Like, you know, Haim is uh, someone that's been on the show, someone I look up to a lot, and he just puts it out there. I won't buy a flip unless I can make 100000 on it. Yeah. That's it. If I can't make 100000 on this flip, don't send it to me. Mm-hmm. Right. That's relationships. He's letting everyone know in the Bay Area, don't send me the deal unless I can make a hundred thousand on it. But if I can make a hundred thousand on it, I will close on that thing.
1: Mm-hmm. I I have a similar rule, except mine's seventy five. I won't look at a flip <laughs> unless I can make seventy five. Maybe I need to up it to a hundred. Um, you got to go to Bay Area; it's a little bit different. Right. Well, so so we talked about sourcing and the importance of relationships there with with deal finders, with agents, with brokers, whatever. Um, And of course with sellers, but remember the barbell framework, you know, if you don't have a reliable business yet, you shouldn't, in my opinion, be looking at these home run plays. Yeah. You've got to have reliability on this, on this side of the barbell. You got to get your business out of the middle and some level of predictability and reliability because otherwise you'll just end up chasing all these different things. Yeah. Because on the other side of the barbell is what we call asymmetric bets to the upside. And I think, again, if you've listened to this, you've heard us use that phrase, asymmetric bet. It means the upside's big and the downside's really low. Yeah. That's how I think about relationships.
0: Well, I think just before we move on, like when we're talking about reliable, notice we didn't say big, we said reliable, hmm. right? I mean, like the question is typically is like, all right, I'm doing three deals a month now. How do I get to 10 deals a month, right? Now I'm doing 10 deals a month. How do I get to 20 deals a month, right? And what we're suggesting is maybe instead of asking how do I go from... 10 deals a month to 15 deals a month is, is, what if we stabilize the 10 deals a month and then use an extra time and resources to look at asymmetric bets to the upside?
1: Yeah, really well said. We're so wired towards scale. Oh my God, that's gonna be the the number one word probably most used in entrepreneurship in the mm. last 10 years. If you If you Google it, it's how to scale xyz business how to scale my wholesaling business how to scale my flipping business Um, where really most of us got into this for financial certainty financial freedom the ability to do what we want and not have to worry about our finances that's what i think of when i think of retiring Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason we just default to how do i grow this business even bigger which first of all the bigger your business is typically the less margins you have and I don't care who's going to tell you, like, there's going to be some people out there who have grown a big business and they've been able to step away. And that's the, the dream that most of us think of is I'm going to scale this business. I'm going to hire someone to come in so that they run it because I don't really want to run this. I want to sit in the owner's box.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was true until 2022.
1: Yeah. And I think all we're advocating for is instead of trying to raise the ceiling, how do we do more deals? What, what we'd rather do, or what Steve and I would rather do, do whatever you want. You know, this is just our perspective, is we would rather have, instead of a business that does, again, 20K, negative 20K, positive 60K, minus 50K, plus 30K, whatever. You got all over the board. It's very unreliable and mm-hmm. unpredictable, and that's why you're spending so much time in your business. Yeah. So before we start growing it and scaling it, Let's just make it ultra reliable and slowly raise the floor up.
0: Yeah. So the question isn't how do I go from five, three deals a month to 10 deals a month? The question might be is like, how do I go from three deals a month to making sure I never do less than five deals a month?
1: Yeah, because that allows you to spend more time looking for these asymmetric bets. And to me... When you start getting exposed to some of these larger deals, I mean, we've got development deals with multiple seven figures on it. Mm-hmm. And there's just not there's, – there's, there's, the options aren't there when you're, when you're doing a volume-based transactional business to do that. There's just not there. And in one deal, bam, you can make seven figures. I know multiple people doing that with just land entitlements. They built a very reliable wholesaling business. It runs. But they're not trying to grow it. It just needs to stay stable so that mm-hmm. it can fund their solvable problem, and then they spend their time over on the other side of the barbell. And it's all about relationships. It's either looking and sourcing deals, which we talked about, or they're uh, funding. Let's talk about the, the second side of the triangle, which is you know raising money. How do you get debt? How do you get equity? These are really the two main components. Of what what's called the capital stack when you're getting into these large deals, and most of us you know understand this is twenty percent equity, eighty percent debt. You know that's pretty typical in a lot of these deals. Most of the time the banks are now looking for thirty to thirty five percent equity. Mm-hmm. And as you're doing, let's say a ten million dollar project, you may not have just three million dollars in equity sitting around. You may also not be able to have the net worth to sign on a ten million dollar loan. Well, I guess in this case it would be a seven million dollar loan. So it all comes down to relationships again, right? Right, and, and let's talk about building relationships uh, with private lenders and with bankers and things like this. What's what have you observed to be really important when when doing stuff like that? I know you don't raise a ton of money, mm-hmm. but you have a lot of people that um, have told you, "Hey, I got money for you."
0: Right. I mean, I think the biggest thing uh, I kind of touched it on a. moment ago was reputation which is another another way to say is a track record Mm -hmm. right like hey like i i am competent (laughs) at managing money uh i've either done big deals or you know i've survived two different crazy markets right whatever it is but i think a track record uh is absolutely key in in raising private capital but the other thing too and paul and i spent a whole episode on this figuring out what's important to the other person. You know, yeah. a person that's got $100,000 is going to have different... Um, that's, 100K is like 35 years old. Is going to have a very different risk assessment than a person that's 75 years old and has got like 10 million. They've got different objectives, yeah. right? So you got to figure out what's important to this other person and then figure out if your opportunities... Is in alignment with what their goals are.
1: Yeah. You ever been to buy a car or been into a, you know, uh, retail or some anywhere, and that salesperson comes up and they're, you can immediately tell they're trying to get you to buy whatever product that they're selling Mm -hmm. by talking about how great the product is. Look at this new car we've got. Man, look at all the bells and whistles that it has. Look at all this stuff. Meanwhile, you're like, I don't care about any of that. I just need a minivan because I have four kids and whatever, (laughs) you know, they didn't take the time to actually understand what problem are you trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And so I can tell you that when I looked at this deal triangle, I said, really, where do I add the most value? And it's, it's, it's a heavy bias towards funding for me, raising capital and also some on the sourcing. I do zero on the operations. Mm -hmm. I have to find the who, not the how in right. that case. But one of the things I noticed again, I've spent a decade in sales, and that's why you and I got along so well, is because you've you've been such a you know leader in the sales world and we just we see things very similarly. Yep. And you don't go in and start pitching how great of a deal you have. In fact, I think it's a mistake to be selling anything to a private lender um at all. the deal sells itself. Right. And, and I like to, again, it's, it's like one of these invert things. You don't find the deal and then go find the lenders. I think that's how a lot of people think it's done. Mm -hmm. You go out and you find a really good deal and then you go out and you pitch it to a bunch of lenders and you know, then they're like, this deal looks great. Right. And they just jump right in. that's a really tough way to sell because again, people can, they just, they can get a sense. Sales is all about behavior, psychology, right? It's just human behavior. right? And they can feel where you're pushing something. You're trying to convince them mm-hmm. of why they should get into this deal. And I think that's the, that's the opposite of the way it should go. You right. should be building these relationships with people, understanding what they're actually trying to get closer to, what their solvable problem is, and then saying, fantastic if I run into something that might fit what you're looking for, how would you like me to let you know? And of course they would, they're like, that's a weird question. I don't know what you're really saying to me, but (laughs) usually they elaborate. And they're like, well, you know, definitely reach out to me. I'd love to see that type of stuff. Right now you've got clarity on what they're looking for. So when you do find that deal, you say, Hey, you know, I know we talked a few weeks ago, you were telling me this, 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 and this, these were important things to you. You know i'm I might have something coming up in the next few months. Uh, what interest do you have right now of taking a look at this? There's like absolutely, let's take a look. yeah that process right there will will help you raise more money if you just invert the way that you're doing it. Don't find a deal and then pitch it to people. Find the people, and then when you've got them there, then go find the deal.
0: yeah, and you know it's funny. This is exactly what we teach in our Dispo training, right? Our Dispo sales training. Go find the flippers. Figure out what they're looking for. Find out what's important to them. What's their criteria? And then when you have a deal that fits it, call them. Don't push them every deal.
1: Yep. <laughs> Don't push them every deal. Because, again, you, you come across as um, they can tell you want something from them. Yep. Right? So... Funding, it's a big part of this. And, and also that is a full-time job, okay? Just like the commercial broker would probably tell you there's a reason why, all they do is act as a broker in most cases. Mm-hmm. And they partner with other people potentially to find the other things. And that's what we mean by a team sport is you've got to find where you add the most value. And sourcing is a great way to do that. Finding good deals, fantastic way. Being able to bring capital to a deal, um, one of the things that I ran into as we're, we're working on our second big development project is my net worth is tapped. Like I can't sign on another loan, on uh, bank debt. Of course, I know there's a bunch of people who are like, well, you can get hard money, yada, yada. I'm like, I'm not using hard money on these giant development deals. I'm not willing to take on that level of risk. It's a preference thing. I get there's other people that would, would do that, but I'm not willing to do it. Um, so what do I do? I have to bring in somebody else that can sign on this debt, someone else that has a high net worth. It, it, and, I, and I've known this guy for years before I approached him, right? We've had conversations about him wanting to get into developments. I didn't go find the deal and then just call Brad up and say, hey, you ready to go? Uh, and he's like, go what? You know, mm-hmm. like, We've had conversations up to this point about him, what his solvable problem is, what he's looking to do. So that's a big aspect of his funding. Absolutely. The the last side of this triangle is what I call operations. Now that could mean different things depending on the type of deal you're getting in. But multifamily, if you're building it ground up, who's building it? If you're doing a value add and someone needs to property manage it, who's doing that? If it's development, who's building it and managing it? there's just always an aspect of operations now you and I like our hands are pretty soft right we're not (laughs) swinging hammers we're that's not our skill set our skill set is sales essentially um which again to a lot of the people on the operations side is the complete opposite of how they think Mm -hmm. fantastic this is a team sport yeah it's wonderful um so you know uh Tell me a little bit more about how you think about building relationships on the operations side.
0: I mean, I think for us, for operations is, is goes back to recruiting and finding the best talent. You know, uh, you and I, we did a show a few weeks back about building out the realtor team. What was the first thing in order for me to make sense to go do it? Finding the right who, right? So uh, if I'm talking about operations, um, probably I'm going to be using a third party. I'm going to go out and ask for references, right? If it's multifamily, first person I'm probably going to call is Tim Bratz, right? Uh, if it's self-storage, we got Alex Kazadi has been in the show, Scott Myers, right? Like I'm going to call this, the, the self-storage guys. Hey, I need help with operations. Who do you recommend, right? Uh, if we're doing entitlements, first person I'm probably calling is Mike Watson. That's the one I was mentioning earlier, right? The guy... Has made multiple millions of dollars in entitlements. If we're gonna go down that road, I'm gonna call, and by the way, these are all relationships relationships. Starts off with calling the relationships I have and then asking them for a referral.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? So it starts off with the who, as in the high level, like these are the <laughs> person that are already excellent in this industry, and say, like, who do you recommend? So there's two layers of relationships there.
1: Yeah, it's why your Rolodex is so valuable because you have so many relationships yeah. that you can typically find everything you need just by drilling down into the key relationships there. But I also I also want to make a point about the operations side is what has made great partnerships for me on the operations side is that it's a what I bring to the table is a complement to what they bring. Mm-hmm. So like let's let's say um you know Tim Bratz, right? Maybe he's an excellent operator and man I don't think he actually manages and operates a lot of his stuff, but no. you know, pick pick somebody who is, and I'll just use Nate and Hassan. These are my two partners on the, the development stuff that I do. Why did they make great partners for me? It's because I brought something that they didn't bring, which is I, I podcast all day long. I mm. do social media. I'm going to the meetups. I'm building tons of relationships. I'm traveling across the country to go to these events to bring relationships. I'm raising money. And they don't want to do any of that. Right. All they want to do is show up to the job site for a couple hours a day, make sure everything's getting done, and you know, go spend time with their family, go do whatever they want to do most of the time. Right. Like They don't really work that much. No, but they like, they enjoy being in ops. They do. And they enjoy what they do. And so that is what I think makes for a really good deal triangle. Is right. not and it takes time to find that. It took it took me quite a while to find that relationship with the operator that needed what I brought because sometimes they already have capital. And you're not going to add a ton of value to someone like Tim Brots by bringing capital into a deal. He's like, I already got the money. <laughs> no, I don't really need that. Yeah. He's probably already got the deal flow. Yeah. You're probably not going to add a ton of value to that. So a lot of this is it does take time and it's, you got to plant lots of seeds. Mm-hmm. You've got to look at the asymmetric upside side of your barbell as it's not reliable. It's going to take time. You want to allow for randomness and the unexpected. You know, I'll I'll just give another example. Um, We started working and building Whale Club and partnering with Dan and Nick at the time. There's no way I could have known that a year later I'd be writing a book with that guy. Yeah. Completely unexpected and random. Never could have predicted that. Mm -hmm. But what that's going to do? That book is my two number two uh, top two currencies for me that i can monetize are attention and relationships yeah the more people who watch my podcast just the same thing as you right it's retention and relationships and a book contributes to that massively and so again i just look at this as if you're if you're gripping and bearing down on a specific plan of exactly how it needs to happen You're probably going to miss all of the random opportunities that life is going to present to you Mm -hmm. because you don't know what the future holds. Your plans are just the best guess of what that is. And instead of holding it as like, this is what we're going to do, hold it as a hypothesis and say, you know, this is what I think, but I'm also going to be open and receptive to maybe a more efficient path to get there. And my argument is most of the time that, those random things that occur, where people are like, "Wow, that was really lucky," it's the result of putting in the effort and and the time mm-hmm. to build high quality relationships. Because again, I just I believe that this business is all about relationships.
0: Well, it was like um, Ray Lewis, right? When the when the Ravens won the Super Bowl the first time, it was we create our own luck, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, why do they get so many? Turnovers? Why do they score so many touchdowns off turnovers? Like, well, they create their own luck, right? They're creating opportunities intentionally. You don't know when the quarterback's going to throw a bad throw. You don't know exactly when someone's going to fumble the ball, but they're going to do everything they can <laughs> to force those things to happen. And then randomly it occurs, and then randomly you get Ray Lewis in the end zone, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing here. Like, there have been countless conversations I've, I've had. Like, well, how did you happen to come onto this deal? It was like, oh, it just fell into my lap. Like, okay, I mean, it didn't just fall into your lap, right? Like, you've had the conversations. You've let everyone else know this is the industry you're in. You've let other people know these are the things that I like to do. And so when the moment came, they called you up. Just like, for example, I talk about Mike Watson. Like, the guy gave a killer presentation on how to make a ton of money on entitlements. So if I have an opportunity for entitlement, who am I going to call? The guy that's on stage talking about it. I'm not going to call some random wholesaler, hey, I got an entitlement deal. What do you want to do with it? It doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Bigger deals, in my opinion, come down to, it's like they're opportunistic. You have Mm -hmm. to be in the right place at the right time. And the best way to increase the odds of that is to have a huge network of really high-quality relationships, people that want to help you, Mm right? Right. And so as you're building your relationships, which again, the title of the show is use this strategy to do bigger deals instead of more deals. We're not opposed to growing businesses. What we are saying is that growth doesn't always come in more deals. You can have a business that does five deals a month and and one giant deal a quarter and accomplish probably the same exact thing as doing 10 deals a month. Yeah. Or, or less, or, you know, (laughs) so I think that the the key takeaway for today is that if you want to do bigger deals, leverage relationships, plant seeds and don't get so tunnel vision on exactly how you think it needs to be built because all the best deals out there are usually tied and linked to randomness and, and consider where you fall on the deal triangle are you someone that adds value to the sourcing side to the funding side or to the operations side and then it's and then it's the who not how strategy from that you know it's just a team sport and you're not going to get there on your own and i think that's actually probably uh, it's you're taking on a lot of risk by trying to do it that way especially when you're new to this process mm-hmm. and the key phrase that we like to use is micro step right Micro step your way into these deals. There's another saying that people like to say is, you you know, I'd rather have a slice of the watermelon than an entire grape. Yeah. I think that's what we're saying here is as you start opening up optionality, you start opening yourself up to all the possibilities by building all these relationships. Now you're kind of increasing the spider web of chances that these random things that occur will benefit you. Again, consider where you fall on the triangle and micro step your way into them because these deals are huge and it's a team sport and you don't need an entire one of these massive deals to make a huge difference in your business
0: right absolutely Uh, so guys if you're interested in learning how to implement reliable profitable fulfilling business we've talked about it a lot right rigging the game by dan nicholson wall street journal bestseller it's 10 bucks on amazon just go buy that book After you've read it and you enjoy it, you know, Paul and I, we've been working with Nick and Dan for a year and a half now. If if you have any questions whatsoever on how Paul and I are implementing rigging the game inside our real estate business, go to realestatecertainty.com, have a conversation with Paul, and hopefully he'll be able to shed some light on how you can apply these principles of rigging the game inside your business. So uh, we do ask, you know, do us a favor, read the book before scheduling the call. That way you can get the most out of the call uh, but yeah you know if you guys are interested in, in figuring out how to a, a, apply this inside your business we'd love to help you with that so yep. with that said thank you guys all for watching we'll see you guys next week